0: Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
1: Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Mats Vilander, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to The Tennis Podcast. I'm Catherine Whitaker, tennis broadcaster, and I'm delighted to say, once again, that I'm not joined by David Law, because for this week, we are going to have the first ever all-female podcast and I've promised David that I won't say the words sisters are doing it for themselves but by saying that I have just said those words so I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by tennis journalist Alex Ramsey. Alex thank you very much for joining me. That's a
1: pleasure. You're not going to sing Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves, are you? Please tell me you're not.
0: <laughs> no, not at this time of night, but I have said it, and there we go. I can't unsay it now. Um, so thank you for joining me. You've been out here writing for a number of different people this week, and what a week it's been for you, because we've had British success, haven't we? We've just watched Andy Murray absolutely, well, demolish Rafael Nadal, really, in the final of the Madrid Masters. Well, yeah, he absolutely well demolished Flattened him um,
1: Pretty much from start to finish Came out all guns blazing Never looked back um, Rafa wasn't the Rafa that we know But he started to play better During the um, the first set And as soon as he applied the pressure Andy upped his pressure And that was that um, Particularly after the first set You thought hmm, okay Maybe Rafa can mount a comeback But Andy came out and again Yeah two breaks up in no time flat and that was that
0: that's the thing he ne- he ne- I, we were watching you know we were both there in the press room watching and we were thinking he's in the most incredible run of form he has to have a blip at some point he has to have a lapse in concentration and it never came did it
1: well the thing is with with Andy he sometimes looks like he's about to have a meltdown or that he's very, his face is uh, very expressive and his his body language sometimes doesn't look too too great but it it clearly is not as bad as we think it is but there was absolutely nothing he was just I mean I, I think I, I wrote in copy I,
0: I think I wrote in copy I wrote so many words in such a short space of time it's very late here everyone <laughs> it's very late it's one o'clock in the morning and it's been a long week of late nights but yeah but
1: I, I thought that he it was like he was in blinkers it was a site right, that's the goal, that's the straight path to it, and there ain't nothing gonna stop me and that was it.
0: You're right, it's rare to see Andy Murray that focused, isn't it? Even, even I mean, even if even if he is focused, as you say, sometimes he doesn't look focused. He looks distracted and you know, he's remonstrating about every this, that and the other. None of that today. Yeah, it can be anything from his racket strings
1: to the colour of his shoelaces to he looks up and sees something that somebody in his box is doing and they get a bit of a mouthful or but this time there was absolutely nothing. And even, um, even when he uh, made a very few errors, but when he made the errors, didn't phase him at all. He just got straight back on with it and biff-baff-boff. He was completely focused. I've not seen him that relaxed and playing that well so consistently from first ball to last for, well, pretty much, I think, since the Wimbledon
0: final. Amazing. Interesting that we're now making comparisons between Andy Murray now and Andy Murray Wimbledon final. Is he in the form that he was in then, back when he won the Wimbledon final? Well, that...
1: (laughs) who knows? Um, Because this is clay, he has never played this well on clay before. I mean, this is the most remarkable run he's had on the red stuff. Um, But in terms of his confidence, and certainly in terms of his physical condition... I think he's probably better than he was then because he doesn't have the back issues. Remember he won Wimbledon with a back that was so bad that 3 months later he was going under the surgeon's knife.
0: It's amazing, isn't it? He's really revolutionized his uh he 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 was asked about Amelie Moresmo in the press conference today, wasn't he? And he did pay tribute to her and what he's what she's brought to his clay court game, but he also took the opportunity to thank his his new physical team, didn't he? Cuz he said They've done wonders for me because, as you say, he was playing with a really serious injury. He was rehabbing from it for a year and now here he is playing pain-free and, as you say, looking so relaxed and part of that must come from trusting his body again.
1: We had the opportunity to have a good two-week training block on clay and he's not had that before because, as as he's been saying all week, in the old days, um, as his back deteriorated... If he tried to train, his back would hurt. So he'd have to take take it easy for a couple of days. He couldn't train flat out. He couldn't train for a long period of time. Then he would go to a tournament. Then it would hurt again, and it was a it was ever decreasing circles. But this year, he feels fit as a flea. The back's not a problem. Uh, he's moving extremely well, and he's he's playing well
0: he's playing better than we've seen him play for so so long it's wonderful to see isn't it as as murray fans which we can't pretend that we're not our livings to a large degree depend on andy murray being as brilliant as he can be and it's great to see isn't it we in the press of course
1: are totally impartial as you can tell from the headlines and the copy we write anyway moving on um but yeah i mean i think it's i mean it's fabulous for 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 people who who follow Murray um, and I, I think it's fabulous for, for the game too because to have the big boys at the top competing I mean yes they've had a stranglehold on on the Masters series I forget what the stat was but something like out of the last 47 Masters series or something 44 I think out of the last I mean it's an incredible stat isn't it I mean they've just had, yeah, I mean it's 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 not a monopoly it's not a duopoly what's a fouropoly but it's one of those um but yeah i mean it's the consistency has been absolutely remarkable and for andy to be back in that mix after a, a difficult and a frustrating year last year i mean it must have been miserable as sin knowing what you can do knowing what the surgeon has told you your back will be able to do and just waiting for all the rest of the
0: bits of your body to play ball now, how about Rome? Because this, this, we're recording this, well, in the early hours of Monday morning. You'll be listening to this on Monday or later in the week. You may be listening to this knowing whether or not Andy Murray has made the decision to play Rome. But, Alex, do you think he should or do you think he should do a Djokovic and think that a week of rest would do him more good than a week of potentially more matches, more winning on the clay?
1: It's a tough one. If you're playing that well, the momentum is with you. You've got a rhythm. Do you want to stop? Mm. But knowing full well he's got the French Open and Wimbledon back to back with Queens in the middle of that, it's if he has intentions of getting to the finals in Paris and in Wimbledon, then possibly taking next week off would be a wise idea. He's played an awful lot of tennis. He's had this two week training block. He's been working flat out for the past five weeks, so. A week off wouldn't do him any harm. I mean, particularly, he said he's going to go to Rome. He, being the sort of bloke that he is, I mean, he'll have commitments there anyway. He'll have to do a bit of media and stuff like that, a bit of glad-handing. But... It's so annoying in the media, aren't we? Ask, asking so much of the players. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. If I see you, you speak you speak to me and you speak to me now. Um, but yeah i mean i'm sure you'll get a couple of practice sessions in get a feel for the, the the clay there the clay there is is more like the clay in roland garros and also it's at sea level whereas we've been at altitude here i mean we're not you know up everest but it's enough to make the balls fizz a bit and equally, uh, Munich is is at altitude too, so it is different uh, conditions to
0: what he'll he'll face at Roland Garros. That's the thing. He, he's made the point a couple of times in press this week, hasn't he? That the clay is, or the conditions are a lot more similar in Rome to in here. So. I rather suspect, he, he's, he's stated that he's going to fly to Rome, no question about that, I rather suspect what he might do is fly to Rome, have a couple of practice sessions, if he feels alright on the clay there, if he feels just as confident as he was here, he'll think, maybe I'll just have a rest this week. Yeah, I think so, and I think, I
1: think actually it would probably be a, a very good thing. Um, he, If you look back over his results over the years, quite often when he comes back from a wee break, he plays extremely well. It doesn't seem to to phase him the fact that he hasn't had any matches for a little while.
0: Now... Greg Rosetsky said in the Sky coverage this evening, or, or yesterday evening of the final, we're, we're losing track of time a bit here. We had a we had a 3.30 finish earlier in the week. Alex and I were there with Andy Murray <laughs> at the Magic Box, waiting for that match with Philip Kohlschieber to finish. So uh, we've never quite recovered from it, have we? It was the never-ending match. It was the never-ending day, because it seemed like about 10 minutes later,
1: we were back back there watching him play his next match. And it's just
0: it's like tennis on a loop here with the scheduling. It's it's impossible. Non, non-stop tennis, very little sleep and lots of tennis, but we shouldn't complain. It's a marvellous way to make a living. Um, we complain. <laughs> it's our job to complain. <laughs> um, Andy Murray, Greg Rozetsky said, loud and proud, he said, uh, Djokovic is the favourite for for the French, which very few people are contesting now. You might, but we'll come on to that in a minute. And Andy Murray is now the second favourite. Discuss. Um, I I think he
1: is one of the serious contenders for the title. Uh, to put him second favourite over Rafa, um, I don't think Andy would do that either. Judging by the way Andy has been speaking, I mean, Andy certainly knows that he's got a very good chance if he continues to play the way he's playing. But you never know with Rafa at Roland Garros. Um, the form book dictates that he shouldn't win it, but hands up, who would be surprised if he did? I don't think there'd be that many people who are going to put you know, their house on the fact that uh, that Rafa is not definitely going to win uh, the, the French Open. Djokovic is, is clearly the form horse of the year, but you do wonder about... I, I just have this sneaking feeling with with Novak that he, he he's put so much store by the French Open. Uh, it means so much to him to get his career slam that... That may, that may be his Achilles' heel. Um, he may get too wound up about it. And if somebody, a bright spark, comes and maybe threatens him at a time in the tournament when he's not expecting it, maybe a fourth round, or somebody comes out of the woodwork and says, right, this could be my day, biff Baf bosh he may not be able to survive that. I mean, it, it's a slim chance, but it is always a possibility.
0: That's a very interesting point, isn't it? There's, there's absolutely no secret of the fact of how much Novak wants this and it, it you're right it could be I don't think he's ever wanted anything as much as he wants this and he we don't know how he's going to deal with that those are new circumstances for him to deal with and of course he's the best tennis player of the year so far and and that probably counts for more than how nervous he might be um, when it comes to the big moments but I think it counts for something that that pressure he will be putting on himself because as as Well, badly, I don't mean badly, you know, Nadal's playing badly. He's still a brilliant tennis player, but relative to what we come to expect from Nadal, as badly as he's playing, he's definitely not putting any pressure on himself, is he? His expectations of himself are low compared to Djokovic. whose expectations of of himself this clay court season are about as high as they can be.
1: Well, the other day, uh, Rafa was saying, um, I think it was after... was it it yesterday? When is yesterday? When 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 is tomorrow? Anyway, um, a couple of days ago, let's say that, he was saying that he thinks it will come good. You know, it it may not be this week, it may not be in two weeks, it may not be in a month, but it will come good. He doesn't have any fear of that. So he's prepared to be patient. And I think the worst thing that could have happened to Djokovic if he is putting pressure on himself is to see Rafa struggle because suddenly you think, well, this is my year. Just as uh, Roger Federer always said, "Oh no, I can win the French Open, and you know Rafa is very good." Blah blah blah. As soon as Rafa wasn't in the final, and Roger won it, he said, "I knew one year, one year he had not to be in the final, and then it would be mine, because that's what it's all about. I don't have to beat Rafa. So if Rafa is struggling, then suddenly Djokovic must ramp up the pressure and think, right now, now is the time to pounce. And if if he trips over his shoelaces." He'll never forgive
0: himself. And do you think that's how Djokovic is thinking? Do you think even watching Rafa... I mean, he would have been watching Rafa, Rafa's matches. He would have been probably watching a lot of matches this week, but undoubtedly watching Rafa's matches. Watching today, do you think he would have been th- still thinking, I hope I don't get Rafa in the final? Or do you think he'd be thinking, do you know what, I've got this, regardless of whether I play Rafa?
1: Mm. Uh, that's a tough one. I, again, because it's a slam... Um, it's so hard to tell because it's the because it is the French Open because it is Rafa there. He can't discount the fact that he may have to pick him off at some point. Now again, it depends on Rafa's ranking as to at what point that may be. And heaven forfend, he doesn't want to spend doesn't want to face him in any match other than the final. I would imagine. Um, so it, they're creatures of habit, tennis players. The thought that, oh, well, um, I'm going into a Grand Slam, and so I've got Andy and Roger and Rafa to worry about, and I know the way the draw's going to work out, I'm going to have to play a couple of them, and that'll be that, and then suddenly. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods
0: You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
1: The world is turned on its head. Where is Rafa ranked? Where is Rafa going to be placed in the draw? What could Rafa not make it to the final? Could this be the moment when I go for it? Those are the sort of things that tennis players don't really like. Most athletes don't like things that are out of out of routine.
0: Well, you raise a very interesting point there, because Rafa, as a result of not winning today, despite the fact they reached the final because he's defending champion, has dropped to seven in the rankings, which for Rafael Nadal is is not where he wants to be, and depending on how he does in Rome next week, I think if he fails to reach the semi-finals, he will drop to nine, and there is a very big difference, isn't there, in a Grand Slam between between seeded seven being seeded seventh, and being seeded ninth. Being seeded ninth, he could face a from the fourth round onwards, he could face Federer, Murray, Djokovic. It's it's I mean. It's a big difference, isn't it? Uh,
1: it is. It's huge. And it hasn't happened for a decade. Now, that decade is the decade in which he has been hoovering up the French Open um, titles. So this is going to be a completely new situation for him. And it is, I would imagine, going to frighten the living so-and-sos out of everybody else in the draw because suddenly you you have no idea where Raffet is going to be. Um, it's a bit like that on the... On the women's side, I mean, until Victoria Azarenka gets her ranking back up again, everyone has no idea what they're going to have to face her in the first round of the final. So I think, I mean, for Rafa, he knows that he's got an awful lot of hard work ahead of him to plough his way through the draw because he's going to get very little protection. Um, and that, that's new. And that's not going to help if your form's not good and your, your confidence isn't great. And, of course, you've got the whole of Roland Garros expecting you to... Mincen you know get to the final and thank you and good night walk off with another title because that's what you always do.
0: Well he will he, Nadal is one player who will without doubt be playing in Rome next week as is Novak Djokovic having taken the week off in Madrid this week. Those are probably the ones that all eyes will be on. I don't think we yet know whether Federer will play Rome at this stage. He was he was undecided wasn't he at the point that he lost to Kyrgios this week. A match that we probably should should talk about because that was one of the highlights. I know Alex has made a face at me as if to say that happened about 15 years ago, which frankly is what it feels like, <laughs> but uh, it did happen and it was quite breathtaking, wasn't it? Remind me,
1: Kirios is the tall bloke, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, it was, I think, a big step forward for Kirios uh, because he did it on clay, Okay, it's clay at altitude, it's not the same as clay at sea level, as we all know, but he started to unravel um a bit in the third set. He started to get edgy and he you know, he was he looked like he was about to implode, but he still managed to hold it together and get the job done. And that I think is a that is a big thing for him. The fact that he loses the next round okay, that's disappointing. But he can go away and think, yeah, but I did Federer and I did it even though things were starting to go wrong. I came through. And that is a sign of growing up a bit.
0: And there's no shame in losing to John Isner in the next round, is there? Because, frankly, John Isner is one of those people that anybody really could lose against. Because And it's and it's also a real test of maturity playing John Isner, isn't it? You're having to keep your focus without any rhythm, knowing that you're barely going to get a chance on serve for the whole match. It, it, it's probably as big a test as fe- playing Federer for somebody of Kyrgios's stage of development. Also, backing up any big win is always huge for a
1: rookie. I mean, curious isn't a rookie uh, completely, but for a a guy on the way up to back up a big win to come back 24 hours later and do it all again and then play a guy who basically serves cannonballs at you all day. I mean, nobody likes dealing with his serve. Pretty much everyone says it's the worst serve to to, to have to return, even the guys who are brilliant at returning, like like Murray. I mean... Ask him who's the worst serve to to return. Oh, John. Big John.
0: He's a bit of a revelation on clay this season, isn't he, John Isner? And it might have a little bit to do with uh, what happened in the Davis Cup against James Ward. He's been very outspoken this week. He was asked a couple of times um, by the media about how his season has turned around since then. And he's been very frank. He said, that was absolute rock bottom for me. And it caused him to do a whole lot of soul searching. He mentioned... A uh, drive he had, I think, after flying into Palm Springs for Indian Wells, a drive he had with his new coach, Justin Gimelstob, and they did some real soul-searching to figure out how to turn things around with him. And, hey, it's worked.
1: I'm assuming he probably flew into Los Angeles because I was on the same flight with him. And uh, we saw him get on the plane, and he, he looked like he'd been run over by a truck. I mean, he looked so miserable. I mean, it players deal with 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 losing they have to it's it's a occupational hazard but to lose for your team is the worst of all and he looked devastated so he has 11 hours 11 and a half hours on a plane to sit and think about that which is not a pleasant experience at the best of times we arrived in um Los Angeles and it's it the traffic was hellish uh, it took us 5 hours to drive to uh to uh, Palm Desert So that was an awful lot of time for some soul-searching. And um, when he arrived in Indian Wells and started playing, um, a colleague of mine who I'd been on the same flight with, we sort of looked at each other and thought, first round, straight out, you can guarantee that's good. He didn't. He dug in and he started to play and he started to win. He wasn't setting the world on fire, but he started again and he just got back. And he has really you know he, he bit the bullet and that was it i have to i have to play and he he has done it and he he's got over it he managed to get over it in the space of basically 36 hours which is a Quite an achievement.
0: Yeah, it's a great testament to his character, isn't it? So, had it not been for some terrible traffic in Los Angeles, John Isner might not have recovered from the slump that he got himself into. Presumably, he wasn't swearing at the other drivers, where indeed I was. <laughs> that sounds thoroughly understandable. Nobody enjoys a five-hour drive through the uh, through the desert. Um, so, John Isner, probably one of those dark horses in the draw for the French Open, would you say? Uh, well, he... Mm. I don't
1: think he is going to win it uh, by any means. But on the other hand, there may be some people who won't want to
0: meet him. Let's put it that way. Quite. And uh, any other contenders do you see? Let's maybe look ahead to Rome. So let's take Murray potentially out of the equation. Um, Federer possibly. I mean, let's let's have a look at the Federer side of things. Losing to Kyrgios. He played well. That's the thing. These losses that he's suffering... Just at the moment he's not playing badly in them he's just coming up against uh, some inspired opposition so is there reason to worry about Federer or is is he just having a bit of a bad run of luck I
1: think uh, I don't think there's much to worry about with uh, Federer the one thing he can't stop is getting older uh, that's always going to happen it's always going to be a problem if he has a couple of losses the great aura that he had when he was in his pomp that was worth a game or two it had to be you walk on court and your knees start to knock good lord I'm playing Roger Federer and it's centre court please don't make me cry you know if people left with a reasonable scoreline they were happy but now of course particularly with the younger players they think oh, okay you're in your 30s you've got four kids and you know what you were bring it on son so suddenly you, you've got a different he's got a different uh, mindset against him but <clears throat> excuse me um I think he will be looking at the French Open and thinking, maybe it's possible. Um, If Rafa is not as good as he usually is, um, depends on how the draw works out for him. You know, it could
0: be a possibility. That's the thing, there's a strong argument to say that, regardless of form, Federer would still rather play Djokovic than play Rafa. Uh, uh, Roland Garros, most
1: certainly. Um, the last person on God's earth he wants to see on the other side of the net finals day in Roland Garros is Rafa Nadal, even if it was Rafa Nadal on one leg and a crutch.
0: So That's interesting. We could see a scenario where Rafa gets seeded ninth, let's say, ends up being taken out by somebody, let's say Djokovic, Murray even, early on, and we end up with a djokovic Federer final. It's not inconceivable, is it?
1: It's not inconceivable, and um, it would be interesting to see who you... Pe- who you would put your money on not that we're allowed to mention the word betting um, it would be monopoly money naturally
0: of course um, I should have mentioned when we were discussing Kirios just quickly because one of the listener questions we've had in was to ask you who is the next new number one on the well we do ATP and WTA but let's do ATP first who's the next new number one I'm not saying you have to say Kyrgios but we were talking about Kyrgios and he would certainly be in the mix for that wouldn't he
1: do you mean new number one, as in who will take over, or the new youngster who's
0: coming through that you you know for
1: four or five years down the line?
0: Somebody that hasn't been number one before. It could be Andy Murray. Could say Murray because he's never been number one. Somebody that hasn't been number one before who will be the next one.
1: Well, hmm. I was just pondering this actually, oddly um, in the car. Um, if Murray were to get to the final at the French Open and Djokovic didn't win it. Djokovic goes out prior to the final Suddenly Andy's been in two finals Let's say he were to win Wimbledon Then suddenly you're looking and thinking uh, Hang on a second, how are these points stacking up? It is it is possible, I'm not saying it's going to happen But if Andy has a very good run at the French I know he's got semi-final points to defend But um, it's the slams that matter If he st- if If he gets to a couple more finals you're suddenly thinking, oh, how's all of this panning out? I mean, Djokovic is ahead by a country mile at the moment, so I, I don't think it's going to happen. But if you took Djokovic out of the equation, that's a potential. But um, for the youngsters coming through, um, to be honest, I, I'm i not going to put my money on anybody at the moment. I think the guys that are behind the top four are not... at not at the level I don't think they're going to start winning slams all of a sudden and start to threaten the top guys. So I think we're going to have to wait for a little while
0: to see who's going to break out from the generation
1: behind that.
0: The the Chorich, Kokanakis, Kyrios, Tiafo even he's just won himself a uh, a French Open wild card hasn't he. I mean he's he's even younger still, but we're looking to that generation, you think?
1: I think so because I don't I can't see the likes of Raonic um Dimitrov he has to be consistent and he just isn't. Um but those guys they have they have potential to do some damage from time to time, but I don't see them being consistent. To be consistent like these top four have been, to win week in, week out, month in, month out, to be in the, the semis and the finals of slams year after year, I can't see that happening. Not
0: with that lot. Very interesting. Now I know you're a men's tennis specialist because of the one and only Andy Murray, but women's who's the next new number one in the women's game there's a, there's a crop of them aren't there probably a stage on from the kirioses and the kokanakuses The you've got the muggeruthers you've got the um uh garcia caroline garcia was a bit of a revelation this week she uh pushed maria sharapova didn't she any of them grants are any of them number one contenders or would you be looking at simona hallett perhaps I think you're looking at the person
1: who hires the sniper to shoot Serena Williams because otherwise nobody is going to take over at the top.
0: That is a that is a bold or or maybe the uh maybe looking at Serena Williams to retire one day because it has to happen, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, but I think she'll be 75 when that happens because she keeps going on and on and getting better and better. I mean she 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 never lets up. If she wants to play, she plays and she wins. If she doesn't want to play, it's a different story. But those those weeks don't matter.
0: Did you think she wasn't up for playing this week in Madrid, losing out to Kvitová as she did in the semis?
1: Well, she said she wasn't a hundred percent when she came in. So if she didn't feel right and didn't fancy her chances, then you know, I mean, no disrespect to Kvitová whatsoever. You've still got to beat her, and that still takes some doing. But she said she wasn't a hundred percent ready and a hundred percent right coming in.
0: There you go, you heard it here p- first, podcast listeners. Serena Williams will be 75 years old and still winning Grand Slams. Go and put some money on that, Alex. <laughs>
1: I'm a poor working journalist. I ain't got any money. You couldn't lend us a tenner, could and you? And if you
0: did, as great as Serena Williams is, I would not advise you to spend it on that. Uh, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure too, and I'm glad you didn't sing. <laughs> I think the world of podcasting is glad that I didn't sing. Uh, We'll be back next week, or at least David will, with a very special guest. So make sure you tune in for that one. Uh, Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that?